Listen all month as ReachMD XM157 explores The Great Debate, a special series discussing the future of public health policy in America. The trained nurse has become one of the great blessings of humanity, taking a place beside the physician and the priest, William Osler. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the voice of medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host. Please join me and my guest, Dr. Marla Salman, for a special segment on healthcare policy. Dr. Salman is professor and dean of the School of Nursing at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She is the former director of the Division of Nursing for the United States Department of Health and Human Services, chair of the National Advisory Committee on Nursing Education and Practice, and served on the White House Task Force on Healthcare Reform. Today we are discussing what it's like to be in the nurse's shoes. Welcome, Dr. Salman. It's so good to have you join us. I'm glad to be here. In the introduction to his House Divided speech, Abraham Lincoln said, if we could first know where we are and whither we are tending, we could better judge what to do and how to do it. So, Dean Salman, in a nutshell, where is nursing today? Well, I think, I think nursing, probably like all of healthcare, is at the crossroads. Nursing has reached a point in its development of, as a profession where it is engaged in very exciting and important things. We do make incredible differences in the lives of people, whether in the community, home care, or taking care of chronically ill people, or in the most intensive care settings within hospitals. We, our span covers the globe. We're involved in everything from the development of pharmaceutical agents to health policy. On the one hand, nursing is in this wonderful place where nurses can do things that they never imagined 50 years ago. Unfortunately, on the other hand, we're facing the most intractable and largest shortage of nurses ever, and it's a shortage that's compounded by a global shortage of nurses. So we've got nurses who are prepared and fundamental ingredient for making the future better for, for health care and for the health of people. And on the other hand, we just don't have enough of them. You've served on a White House task force. Uh, you're chair, we're chair of National Advisory Committee on Education and Practice. If you sat down with one of the presidential candidates, or maybe all of them, what would you tell them needs to be done now to correct the shortage? Well, I think we've got sort of a short term and a long term. The short term is we need to turn up our capacity to produce nurses, and we need to build in incentives for the healthcare industry, if you will, to consider nurses and other health professions to be investments. And let me just talk a little bit about the first. In terms of turning up the capacity, the federal government really has gone through over the last two decades 20-plus years of turning down the investment in the production of nurses particularly, but other health professions as well. And so as this lack of investment has continued, we've eroded the supply and we've eroded the capacity to produce those nurses. We have an aging workforce of faculty, probably about half of the faculty we're going to see retiring over the next 10 years. And we have buildings and technology that is way behind the times in terms of our ability to produce enough nurses. So I think that's a real fundamental piece. What technology has to be changed? Well, we have the ability. There is a technological capacity to actually do something about teaching large numbers of people together. And that's not only nurses, but it's, it's physicians and others. We can team teach when we have the right simulation. 
when we expose our students to electronic medical records in their training, which is actually not usual, when they can use PDAs. So many of our, our nursing schools can't teach nurses to do what they end up doing in practice just from a technological perspective because they don't have the simulation equipment or the simulation laboratories. I'm on the informatics committee at my hospital, and one of the pet peeves of one of my colleagues is that with the computers, that the nurses are spending more time at the computer than at the bedside, at sitting at the nursing station, entering data and data. Do you see that as a problem, and how would you correct that? Well, I don't think the problem is the technology. I think it's the design of the technology. For example, we have a very exciting collaboration right now with Georgia Tech, and the whole purpose is looking is to look at ways to improve the context in which care is given so that nurses don't work for technology. Technology works for them. And there's some very exciting models that have built, been developed through something that's called Transforming Care at the Bedside. It's a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation-supported initiative to redesign ways in which people care. So you, you may see a nurse with a computer, but that nurse will probably actually be sitting with that patient in that room, and the computer will be an assistive device there with her rather than her having to run after the computer. The computer's with her. Can you do a voice dictation kind of thing so that they can actually carry on a conversation and that gets put into the medical record? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I'm not aware of that. You could. Have we developed that technology? And that's really the second point in terms of public policy. Have we invested enough to find innovative ways that make it easier to care? Now, I'll just say that somewhere between 25 to 50 percent of a nurse's time, and probably physicians as well at some level, is spent doing things that it has nothing to do with patient care. Well, what would happen if you captured that time? I'd go home earlier and see my kids. You might see your kids, exactly. But, you know, the other thing is you might stay in the field. Uh, I want to get to that in just a moment. But take a pause to welcome those who are just joining us for this special program on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Marla Salman, Dean of the School of Nursing at Emory University School of Medicine. We're discussing the current state of the art of nursing. Talking about staying in the field, I pulled a article from the Associated Press just recently that says, quote, New Jersey nurses exhausted, abused, injured. They did a survey of 21,000 nurses who responded to this, and more than 50% said there was not enough staff to get the work done. Obviously, this is going to chase people from the field. How do you change this, and what are you doing at Emory? Well, I think there, there are sort of three things that you can do to deal with this, and one is at a systems level and looking at policy. I mean, I think that we are talking about pay for performance as a way of paying for care in hospitals. For nurses as well? or Well, the reality is you don't get the performance unless you start treating your staff like they are investments instead of costs. I love that suggestion. You know, and I think that is the hospitals that do it, and there are hospitals that are called magna hospitals. They recognize that you, in fact, do reduce mortality. You get better quality outcomes when you have a system that invests in its people, whether it's physicians or nurses or others, and smart employers do that. So that's one, one important piece to it. Another is preparing nurses who are able to change those systems. And we really look at, when we bring students into Emory, we really let them know that, yes, it is challenging. It's also rewarding. And part of our job is to help them 
not only learn how to care, but learn how to improve care. It sounds like we need some skunk works in nursing as well I as in medicine in general. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the third area, which is actually, for heaven's sakes, include the people who are using the technology and who are involved in the care context to redesign that context and to come up with better ways to do that. And I think we're seeing that. One of our recent graduates is working in an, in an architectural firm, for example, and focusing on reducing the physical barriers to care. They're actually going to listen to the people who use the hospital? I know it's a novel idea, but, uh, you know, it could catch on. It would really require some thinking out of the box. It's going to have to happen, though, because there is no way that either healthcare can be delivered in the future or that we can meet any of those quality and safety goals on an institutional basis without rethinking the ways that we care for our care providers. One of the things that sort of bugs me is when we try and involve people, like you said, the system has to become involved and treat the people as an investment. But in business, you can also get a reward. You know, in medicine, we're sort of expected to perform at the top level. And if we fall short, then it's a deficiency. But nobody ever comes along and says, you know, you did a great job, so, you know, you're going to get an extra bonus. I mean, it seems like it's something that's missing that they have in the business model. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think there are some places that build that in. And I think what is happening right now that is really a deterrent is that we've made it difficult to get the intrinsic rewards. My dad was an old-time general practitioner. He loved his patients, and loved having time with his patients. That was a whole part of his reward system. But we've made it very hard for physicians to get that, and we've made it hard for them to get other kinds of rewards, performance bonuses, etc. I think we've got to figure out it's either one or the other, or possibly both, but it can't be neither, because we're not going to keep people in the field if, if the rewards aren't obvious and they're not connected to why people went into the field in the first place. A nurse in my office, I told her I was interviewing you, and she said, I got two questions. One is that she's frustrated that it's hard to pay for her continuing education, that there isn't any funding available, there are very few scholarships. Do you have an answer for that, or is there something you're doing at Emory that maybe should be exported? I think that there are a couple of answers to that. One of them is that I think it is a public good that we keep our workforce up to date. And so I think that there should be publicly funded programs for that. And I am aware that there are some that are publicly funded, so that it really is a minimal cost rather than some of the more corporate funded. I would recommend looking at your local schools of nursing, getting in touch with their continuing education departments and see what they're offering because normally they try to offer those at a a very reasonable rate. The other thing is the professional organizations. And by belonging to a professional organization, you can frequently get discounts. Now, the third thing I'd say is, I don't know whether you're her employer or not, but if she's your nurse, I think she ought to negotiate for you to pay for some of that. <laughs> well, she works for us one day a week. She's actually a surgical uh, nurse at one of the local hospitals. I do believe that employers have a responsibility to help their employees keep up to date. It's in their best interest, both in terms of retaining the employee but also having safe practice. I can't imagine any industry not paying for the continuing development of its employees. Disclosure is a very hot topic now. How do nurses feel about disclosure of adverse events and their role in the process? Well, I think that the studies have certainly shown that when people are in a, an environment that is understanding that 
most times human failure is related to systems failure, then you start having people feel comfortable with disclosing because everybody wants to have a system that serves people better. And if it's a punitive system, you have people who are really in the situation of being afraid. If it's a system that says, we're here, we understand that people do make mistakes, but we also understand that most mistakes are made in the context of bad systems. So let's fix those systems. Let's find better processes. You know, I think everybody wants to be a part of that. Dr. Salman, I would like to thank you so much for being so generous with your time and for giving us such great insight into the current state of the art of the nursing profession. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and take advantage of our new on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM 157 and The Great Debate, a month-long special series and discussion on the future of public health policy in America.